Did you know that you could earn ASHA CEUs for listening to these podcast episodes? I think this might be the most fun and most convenient way to earn CEUs ever. Whether you are sitting by your pool during quarantine or uh, trying to fill your commutes once we head back into a normal life here, uh, the opportunities are endless and it's so incredibly convenient. And the best part is if you use the code TALKING20, you get $20 off the PodCourse membership. That is a steal. So if you're interested in getting started, head to speechtherapypd.com slash teletherapy. Uh, click the button at the top of the page to become a member, and then just scroll down to the PodCourse membership section and click that white button. Can't wait to see you in all of the future courses. Hello, and welcome to Talking Teletherapy from SpeechTherapyPD.com, where we dive into the ins and outs of teletherapy for speech pathologists. Each episode of Talking Teletherapy is worth 0.1 ASHA CEU when you complete the accompanying webinar on SpeechTherapyPD.com. Please visit SpeechTherapyPD.com backslash teletherapy for more information about earning ASHA CEUs along with this podcast. I'm your host this week, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP, also the host of First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional, a speech therapy podcast that's also sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. This week, we are covering an exciting topic, and I am excited that you are joining us for another rendition of Talking Teletherapy. So let's get right to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Talking Teletherapy. This one, how do I evaluate and treat a pediatric feeding disorder? And I am your hostess of the night, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. And I can be regularly found on the PodCourse podcast, First Bite, Fed, Fun, Functional, a speech therapy podcast brought to you by speechtherapypd.com. For tonight's guest, um, I do believe it's technically the morning, and I'm so excited to present the lovely, it's Madeline Ratz. Am I saying that right? Uh, Madeline Ratz, but it's, yes. Yes. <laughs> Got a terrible southern twang, and then you blow, throw in the mountains, and yes. <laughs> and she is a senior speech pathologist at Queensland Children's Hospital in uh, Brisbane, Australia. Am I saying that right? Brisbane? Yes. Brisbane, Australia. Yeah. Yes. Oh, again, I speak English in terrible English. Uh, Natalyn is currently working on her PhD at a University of Queensland. And wait for it. Y'all, her research is specifically focused on investigating the validity and reliability of using telehealth to provide pediatric feeding services. Can I get a collective ooh, ah, from all the folks? Because I'm thrilled. Oh, there's your puppy. I see your puppy. <laughs> Yes. Sorry, I'm um, the only place in the house that I have like good enough reception is a spare bedroom and my puppy will be coming in and out. This is this is lovely. Um, My husband's driving home from work and we have a severe thunderstorm warning and I have two children upstairs. So if um, there's a lightning bolt, there will be um, goose and bear will join us. So I understand. Yes. Um, I am thrilled because Leanne Porter, the host of speechtherapy.com, Speech Uncensored, adult podcast podcast, she introduced Madeline and I. And I got to be honest, we're in dire need of this topic. Personally, I haven't been able to do a single teletherapy pediatric feeding eval because um, our state of South Carolina, our Department of Health and Human Services, has not authorized it as an allowable CPT code which I understand because prior to the pandemic, teletherapy uh, was not viable here in our state. Um, it's uncharted waters. However, yeah. there, yeah, there's, there's a few other states in America where it is allowed, but I have fears. Like, can we clearly see what's going on with the kid? How do we confirm the flow rate of a bolus? How do we confirm correct positioning if... Um, only part of the tiny human is on the screen. 
And um, my biggie fear is, what if they choke and I am not there to do the Heimlich maneuver? So um, to be fair, there's where my anxiety piece comes in, but that's okay because Madeline is here and she's going to calm our fears and provide us with the necessary research to feel adequately equipped to go out and do teletherapy. Um, with Thank you. You're giving us this leap of faith for starting the eval and treating PFDs. So Madeline, thank you for coming on. Hi, how are you? <laughs> no, thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be here and to have been introduced to you and to be invited to speak on this. It's something obviously that I'm very, um, very interested in and passionate about and sort of was before COVID um, a lot to do with the, the geography of the state that I work in. So um, the state of Queensland that I work in is, when I've Googled it, it's approximately two and a half times the size of Texas. Um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so it's, um, and I service children because I work at the Specialist Children's Hospital. We service children from all over that state and also some areas of other states. So it's a very large geographical area. Um, and we have a slightly different setup in terms of our funding and rebates and telepractice is something that is... Um, supported by our, our funding body. So um, there's been a lot of research by my Australian colleagues, um, Professor Elizabeth Ward, who's one of my PhD supervisors, and Dr Claire Burns, and they've really led the way and have supported me in starting my research. Um, so it's been lovely to learn from people who've been doing this a lot longer than me. Yes, but that's what we need. I love that in our profession, we have women that build other women up and, and you know, not to dismiss the men in the group as well, but I just, I love that about us in general, that we really truly do build each other up. So, yay. Yeah. Okay, well, we have a lot of ground to cover. Um, folks, there is a chat box. Um, this is very much live. Uh, again, hence puppies and tiny humans and thunderstorms in life. So uh, please feel free to post a question in the chat box if I don't get to it. Um, but we do have a few that I wanted to go through. Um, so to start with, um, and I've done, personally, I've continued with a little bit of um, some of my treatments, but I did uh, transfer, I did take one child off of my caseload at the beginning of the pandemic because he was just discharged from the NICU and he was so complex with the congenital heart defect and I just didn't feel that it was safe for him because they didn't have reliable internet access. and. I don't know what the socioeconomic status is of Queensland, um, nor do I really know where Queensland is on Australia, to be fair. <laughs> but um, but uh, the, top the, <laughs> the top, you're on the top? Okay. Top, topish to the side. Topish to the side, good. Well, South Carolina, we, um, my specific area is very rural and tends to have a low socioeconomic status. So I, I internet access is not necessarily reliable. Um, but for others, I have continued. But I've wondered if someone wants to get started, um, how can they go about using telepractice in their pediatric feeding services? Like so much as like just kind of getting, yeah, where do they begin? Where do we begin? Yeah, yeah I, think there's, um, I think there's a few different types of um, ways that you can deliver telepractice and then a few different modalities or, or ways that you can go about it. Um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit through some of those and some of those I think aren't as uh, going to be as relevant in the middle of a pandemic, um, but they're good for people to know and potentially to continue um, with different types of, of telepractice if that's something that they're interested in, in pursuing afterwards. Um, but generally there's, there's a category of three different types of service modalities. So there's what we call synchronous or real-time telepractice, which is when sort of what we're doing right now, when we're linking in um, with someone via video conference at the time that it's happening. Um, and so you can offer sort of those real-time or synchronous telepractice services in a few different ways. And there's a few different research, um, pediatric feeding research examples of these as well. So you can offer like your telepractice service, um, obviously to families' homes, which is what a lot of people are doing at the moment because people are, a lot of people are under stay-at-home orders. Yeah. So um, there's been um, some research. So Georgia Malandraki and her colleagues did um, a, sort of a, one of the, um, studies in 2014, um, they did a, an intervention study and had really good outcomes from that. Um, my, the large um, 
a large paper in my PhD, which we're currently still just um, putting through for publication, we assessed, it was in total, because uh, we had two different cohorts, but in total it was 70 children. Um, we assessed their paediatric feeding skills um, at home via telepractice. So there was that sort of modality. Um, you can do a shared care model. So that would be more where maybe you're linking in from one facility and you have another, um, you know, speech pathologist or other feeding professionals linking in from another centre. Um, and so in 2008, Clawson and, Co uh, and colleagues did a really interesting study where they sort of piloted, it was in, I'm sorry, I forget the state, but it was in, it was in America. Um, and There's they a lot had, of them. <laughs> yeah, they, had, they, they, were, they were based at a specialist feeding clinic. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to try offering this sort of like specialist second opinion consult to see if they could reduce travel to their um, yes. sort of specialist um, intervention program. And so they linked in with, it was about 15 children from um, sort of rural communities. And they linked in sort of from their local community with the child and their specialist feeding team. And then they linked into the specialist metropolitan feeding team. Um, and what they found is they were able to reduce travel by 50%. So 50% of the families didn't then need to fly to, you know, that, that hospital um, mm -hmm. because they were able to manage their sort of their feeding with that, um, the, the information that the specialist team was able to provide in that back and forth conversation. They found that parents were really satisfied with that and clinicians were really satisfied. And they actually said in some of the comments that um, clinicians preferred it over a phone call because it was easier because they could both see the child doing the same sorts of behaviour. So it really improved, I suppose, their understanding of what was happening and they were really able to target based on what they were both seeing. Um, so and then also, oh, no, no. Sorry, was that more of like an interprofessional practice? Because like, I know, I know where I live, it's like pulling teeth trying to find an occupational therapist to collaborate with, right? I mean, yes. an OT that specializes in pediatric feeding and, and we, I had not thought of a synchronous approach. Yeah, I so am that, still that, calling that, a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's like phone a friend, um, or you know, video, video and a friend. Um, so uh, yeah, so they had some really good success with that, and I must say that's something that I um, I do um, sort of more routinely in my practice because again, I support clinicians throughout um, a large population and, and um, managing some more complex children who, who they might not have as much experience with. Um, and so we do a, a little bit of shared care, which has been really, um, it's been really beneficial to be able to do because um, I learned so much about, you know, some of their practice and, and the, the constraints that they're working within. They learn, you know, they get support and, and it's just really nice. Um, so that's a really lovely model of care. Um, and then sort of the third one, um, still within that synchronous model is um, sort of like an MDT. And so there's a bit of research in this in particularly the head and neck cancer population. So what they'll do is it's without the patient presence. So everyone will link in via, you know, video conference or call to discuss a particular case. And so they might put up images of the, the cancer and things like that. And so then they'll collaborate and make a treatment plan and then go back to the patient afterwards. So there's a few different ways that you can do that. And I think um, one of the things that I think about telepractice and particularly when I get into some of these other things is that a lot of people are already doing some sort of aspects of this. Um, but I know that for me in particular, I didn't realize what some of I was, what some of what I was doing was classified as telepractice until I started actually looking into the research a little bit more and could put a name on it and went, Oh, that's what I'm doing. Yes. Oh my stars. I mean, I'm just thinking of how many times I've like phoned a friend or somebody has phoned me, me, like, you know, they've received permission from a family member to like send pictures or, you know, we like FaceTime in and I just give of my time, but I didn't really think of that as what it quantifies as. And that really is telepractice. Hi. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think it's as soon as you like, you learn and you hear a name of like, oh, it's a type of synchronous, you know, uh, shared care you go oh that's what that is that I've been doing or that people have been asking me so there's a lot in there um, and then you get into what's called asynchronous telepractice or store and forward so that's basically there's a few different types of this um, but it's very popular in sort of the dermatology and the radiology fields because what they do is they get like the nurse takes a photo of the, the skin um, that looks suspicious and then they send it to the dermatologist the dermatologist looks at the picture and then they they sort of 
make a plan and report back from that. But so um, I think what a lot of speech pathologists or, or sorry, speech language pathologists, we're speech pathologists in Australia, um, what, what they do um, is a lot of people are already using things like emails and like SMSs. So if you're texting anyone or even any of those online education programs, they all fit into a form of asynchronous telepractice. We said um, SMS and I was like, what is she talking about? Thank God sorry. you followed it up with the text. <laughs> if, um, yeah. If there's anything that I say that doesn't quite make sense, um, just tell me. It's delightful. I'm also just loving the accent. It's so refreshing from my Monday through Friday. So this is I'm loving the accent too. So <laughs> oh, uh, I can turn it on really thick. I can code switch with the best of them. So there is that. Um, uh, I have been on the receiving end personally of the uh, of the dermatology skin cancer and kind of a little scar there, but um, I apologize. I'm dealing with middle age acne this evening, and I was like, don't I wish there was the little uh, like thing that like, like filters? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so do you have a personal bias towards one of the approaches, asynchronous, synchronous, MDT? No, MDT multidisciplinary yeah. treatment. Yeah, I tend to I tend to use a lot, and there's actually there's a few more. So there's also in asynchronous there's video store and forward. So, um, and I was using this quite a bit because I think working in pediatrics and I work in a in a setting where it's an in clinic sort of service. So I don't I'm not able to I don't really go to people's homes. They they come to the hospital and I see them there. It's very clinic based. And so what I was finding is working with children, you know, sometimes they were a little bit nervous and they didn't really want to interact in the clinic or there would be something that would be different. And so I'd be saying to parents, can you just take a video of mealtimes in your home on your smartphone, bring it back and then I'll watch it. And that's a form of asynchronous telepractice. So all the same as what I was doing a lot is, can you take a photo of your high chair? Because I know that, you know, I've seen, I've, I've sort of set you up in the high chair here, but can you take a photo when you go home and then bring it in and we'll work through what we need to change specifically in your high chair. Um, so there's that is asynchronous and then you've got a hybrid approach, which can either be two things. So you can be incorporating both synchronous and asynchronous, um, or it can be tele and in person. And so um, in my studies, we've been using a combination of synchronous and asynchronous. So sort of um, you mentioned before, like in the intro, you were talking, you know, how do I, if like, how do I assess positioning if like I've got the camera here and what we found was it was really hard. It was really sort of burdensome for parents to be having to constantly move the camera. Um, you know, like they could move it little bits, but really to get a, a good assessment of positioning, you were having to go quite far out. And sometimes then the image would pixelate and you just, you wouldn't get a very good picture. And so what we started asking parents to do is to take a photo of their usual setup for mealtimes of, okay, can you take a photo from the front and from the side of what, what your child's setup is at home, um, you know, wherever they're eating. Can you also take a picture of the inside of their mouth? Um, because that was also quite hard to look at by a telly. Um, and then so we were getting them to send us those pictures before we did our telly appointment, um, which when we, when we did our initial trial, our pilot study, um, the parents that we piloted that with said it was a lot easier because particularly for things like looking in the mouth, instead of being really... Um, high pressure, high stakes in the, in the appointment, they could sort of try a few times throughout the week or, you know, throughout the day or like it wasn't as much of a, okay, well, I need to get this camera right in their mouth right now. Um, it, it gave them more opportunities to try and do that in a more relaxed way. Yes. I, I, um, I'm in the unique position where I have provided teletherapy services for the little ones with PFDs and then a mommy of a, my, my youngest bear has been receiving speech therapy via telepractice, but for our, he's an R kid, bless his heart. And it's been really interesting to watch him because, you know, he was super camera shy. And then once he got the hang of the camera, he was doing one of these where like he was showing us his hand and distracting. And I'm like, just, just sit still. So yes, I, I'm appreciating this asynchronous and bringing the, um, the pediatric feeding stuff forward. So yeah. 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 Okay. And I think it's, yeah. <laughs> Everybody, this is Mr. Dawson. He has come to collect um, our our little puppy dog has been trying to die for the last three weeks, and so she's um, not doing so hot this evening. So she's sitting over there. So 
not to be Debbie Downer, but that's a my baby. Okay, so um, <laughs> um, if I want to, uh, if I want to do it live, if I want to do my evaluation right there, um, say for an instance, you know, the the family's got their video cameras and they send them over. Do you have recommendations on? Um, how to set the cameras up or do you in turn um, supply materials to them because I've also run into where the families some of the families that I treat don't have high-tech devices I mean they may have like a flip phone that was government funded but they're they can't afford other ones so what are y'all doing yeah so I think um it's tricky and I think it's really tricky for families who don't have internet access or they don't have um, the sorts of technology and I think that's really hard like that's that's mm -hmm. almost another um, conversation that's we're very lucky in Australia that um, I have the option when I have families who don't have because I have families who live rurally and they just don't have internet access um, a lot of our GP clinics are set up and so they can go to another sort of healthcare facility and um, they can be there and I can link into them there. So, and I, I think that's a very Australia, um, that's, that's a quite Australian model. Um, but so I'm quite lucky in that for me, that doesn't tend to come up as much because I, I have a lot of workarounds where I can send them to another hospital um, because we're all government, like it's all a government sort of structure. And so I can send them somewhere else and they can link in and we, we can work around in that way. Um, but I appreciate it's very hard for families who don't have that sort of technology and internet. And so I think um, that's that's sort of another another issue in itself. But um, for families who do have something, we um, all of the, the research that I've done so far and a lot of the, the research that's out there really uses what like consumer grade equipment. So people are, are not using specialist cameras. They're using people's laptops. They're using people's tablets, um, smartphones, those sorts of things. So um we my preference and what again what we sort of found with some of the research is it was easiest with a movable device so not a desktop computer because children move a lot so you know having the ability to yeah it was just it just didn't work like if you had it on a desktop and the child decided that they wanted to go sit over there it was it was tricky to follow them um yeah whereas you know if you've got like a, a tablet you can just pick that up and, and follow the child so um, that sort of, so like a, a smartphone, a tablet or a laptop worked quite well. Um, and with a, a smartphone preferred for breastfeeding assessments, um, because the reason being that um, when we were, when you do that, um, if, as you can see, um, holding, holding the phone above sort of the breast, the mother's breast tissue and the baby's face. So you could see sort of attachment and things like that. And we did have when we piloted. We had a, a um, some families who very kindly tried, like with a with a tablet for us, or like, and it was just too difficult. So they said a smartphone, and ideally with a second person to hold the phone because mum's having to obviously reposition, and you know her her hands are sort of taken up. So ideally a second person um, there to be able to hold that and and sort of move that around in terms of devices was the best um, sort of option, um, and. Yeah, that's that's sort of the the setup that we've had, and then definitely, um, and my paper from last year, um, which is a system architecture paper, has um, a bit of a description of the table. Like we've got a table, we've got some photos in there. It actually has that photo of that breastfeeding example that I talked about, um, but it has a table sort of summarising what we found as the best camera angles or the ones that we piloted and and sort of. The things that we learned so we did a lot of simulation and, and trying different things to try and identify what worked um because it was it was getting a little bit hard so we, we did that so that we didn't start this bigger bigger study and then realize that if we just worked around with a few little things more we would have it would have been a lot easier for us um so i've been very lucky in that adapting to telepractice and covid for me has been um a little bit easier because i've been doing it for, for a while and have had a lot of practice of um, doing that. But I think um, what we found generally is sort of like a wide camera angle. So where you can see, um, you know, we generally have the child in whatever, um, you know, wherever they're going to eat. And we, we generally do like a wider camera angle to start with. So that, and we, we ask the parent to have preferred toys, um, which can sort of act as like a bit of a warm up, um, and you know, you can get to know them and you can have a bit of a chat, but then you can see like their face, sort of their, their torso, um, and just be looking at things like, well, how are they moving? How are they talking with me? So it's just sort of to start with, and you know, if we're doing things like looking at, um, you know, overall, 
breathing patterns and things like that, that tends to be um, what we were preferring. And then sort of going for more close-ups, so more, uh, more centred around the face when we were doing things like an oromotor assessment or an infant oral reflex exam, because we obviously wanted to be a bit closer for that. Um, in terms of doing an infant oral reflex exam, um, obviously one of the things with telepractice is you can't be hands-on. So, you know, it's a lot more parent coaching, which I think can be um, quite confronting or quite different for some people to start with. Um, but what we ended up doing was we were coaching the parents through. So we'd say, okay, can you, I'm going to get you, can you just um, gently sort of touch like the side of her cheek and then, you know, we're going to see if she turns towards you. So, um, you know, we were doing that sort of stuff. And yeah, yeah, yes. Um, so that, yeah, I was just saying the root reflex, y'all, what she's talking about there is the root reflex. Cause I know that there's students that are listening and they're like, why is she brushing the baby's cheek? It's a root reflex. When you have a naturally fed breastfed baby and you bring them to the breast, if they, um, they'll turn towards whatever side the pressure or they should toward turn towards whatever side the pressure is on. And I just have to, when you're describing holding the camera above, I remember with my first foreign, and this was before I was a CLC, trying to take my, my cell phone and get my sister, my younger sister, but she has children that are older than mine, advice. And I dropped my cell phone on my newborn. And like, I just felt like a schmuck, but I just, so um, yes, I just comedic, awesome mom film <laughs> there, but um um, no, yeah. it's, hard, it's hard to like be feeding and, and to be holding a camera, which yes, is why I, when we kind of like, if you can have someone else there, it's going to make yes. it a lot easier for you. Yes, yes. Um, okay, we have um, one question that's come in really quick. Um, great topic. I'm an OT in an infant toddler program in Maryland outside of DC. Is this webinar going to actually go through an evaluation and question activities done? I have a few kiddos on my case that I've been using teletherapy with. Typically, we do home visits when not on student home. Yes, um, we have, we're covering a lot of varieties. So if you have a specific case that you want to discuss, um, yes, then you can absolutely go through and um, type it in and we'll answer it for you. So yes. Okay. So we've got multiple cameras. I appreciate the wide angle. I appreciate the zoom in and getting a partner and the, um, how has coaching gone for you? How hard is the teaching element for you? I mean, yeah. I'll just say as well, and then for assessment of feeding, we've been using like a 45 degree angle because what happens is if you do a straight on angle generally for your feeding assessment, mm -hmm. your view gets blocked by your cup or the bottle yes. or yes. a spoon. Um, and so sort of more like, and if you go 90 degrees side on, you don't get necessarily a great view of the oral cavity or things to be looking at things like chewing skills or anterior loss. And so what we found was a 45 degree angle was sort of um, that middle ground where you could then see, um, you know, the lips still and, um, you know, and sometimes what we'll do is sometimes we'll do a closer up and then move further out to then be able to see things like parent-child interaction, because obviously if you're quite close to the oral cavity, then you're missing everything else that's going on. And so that is one of sort of the, the limitations of telepractice is that you are, you're restrained to what the camera can show you. And so um, I think one of the things that I has taken, I've taken a bit of getting used to, and it sort of leads into the parent coaching is getting comfortable with saying, I'm sorry, I can't see, can you please move the camera, um, you know, to this. And, and parents, um, I, I haven't had any experiences of parents being put off by that. You know, they, as long as you tell them, sorry, sorry, like you, the camera's just dropped down and now I can only see her feet. Could you just, you know, put that back up? Um, because it happens. And I think I definitely, for me, um, like the first few times you feel a little bit nervous to say, oh my goodness, I can't see what they think. I'm, but actually it's, it's worse just to keep going. Whereas if you say, hi, sorry, the camera's just changed or because you've moved, can, can you just follow the camera um, with you? So that's sort of um, that. In terms of the, the parent coaching, I found it really positive. And as I said, I don't typically, um, I'm not typically able to see people in their home. So for me, that has been a phenomenal plus of being able to see children at home with their own equipment. Um, you know, and then I, I was doing a session on Monday and I was talking to mum about different equipment of, oh, maybe we could try this type of uh, cup or this type of, yeah, I think it was a cup. Um, and she said, oh, I think I've got that in the kitchen. I'll just go, like, you know, I've got that in a drawer. I'll just go grab that. Is this what you're talking? And so she was sort of going as we were um, talking. And so it's it's um, really been useful or to see what parents have. So, you know, saying, okay, so what do you have at home? 
like um, that, that high chair is really big. Do you, most people have, you know, some towels or something at home. Okay, let's, let's get the towels. And um, particularly positioning for me has been a really big one. Um, that's been a really big positive because we've, I think in uh, the, the 70 children that we saw, um, a lot of them had, particularly the younger, younger children were sitting in, in sort of uh, set up that wasn't quite appropriate for them. There was a lot of, you know, poor postural support. And so um, no, we found... <laughs> What we were finding was that for a lot of them, um, we'd sort of been discussing, some of them were initial, so brand new assessments, some of them were children who were having like uh, review assessments or they were coming in because they needed another a check-in. And so someone had already talked to them about positioning, but that hadn't really translated into home. So they'd, someone had already talked to them about, well, this is how you set it up. This is why it's important. But then when we looked at them at home, they're like, oh, no, no one's ever, ever mentioned this to me before. Um, and so there was a lot, there seemed to be a lot more concrete understanding or sort of carry over with that because we were coaching it through them live online with their own equipment um, that that sort of seemed to help their understanding and really um, that carryover per se. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I no. no, I was just going to say for me, um, I found that I didn't realize how much, even though I was focusing on parent coaching when I was in their homes, I didn't realize how much I was still doing. And so one thing that I have loved is that by being physically removed, uh, it has forced the parents to be more engaged in the treatment, right? And, yeah. and I mean, you know, I know we talk about parent coaching and how, you know, we're going to walk the parents through all the different stages and, and, but it's been beautiful to see relationships in the parent child dynamics that may have been broken or damaged because of it's stressful, the stress of having a child with a pediatric eating disorder and, and then parents that have been very raw and forthcoming with well, prior to finding out they had diabetes and prior to finding out that, you know, the child had Down syndrome or not Down syndrome, autism spectrum disorders that, you know, they, we, we were force feeding, but it wasn't, they're just worried about getting the weight on, but by, you know, Miss Michelle not being there in person, you know, mom and dad have to physically engage more. And um, I saw a lot of healing the last several months that I did not anticipate being such a joyful byproduct of everything and I can't quantify that I mean you can't like say family looks healthier as a whole I mean that's not insurance or billable but it sure has made um created a safer middle ground for the child to expand with and make more progress with their um, treatment of their pediatric eating disorder and that was that's been pretty that's joyful yeah, I've found, I've had some really great sort of wins or successes. And yeah, I, I would agree where it's so lovely to see them thrive, like, and to see parents really driving that as well. Um, because, yeah, I think it's the same sort of thing where you think that you're doing more coaching and you're quite hands off, but actually you are still doing a lot. Yes. Um, yeah. And so uh, we've found, um, because uh, like prior to COVID, a lot more of our, my experience was, was with assessment and reviews and, and not so much direct therapy via tele. Um, but obviously with COVID, that's changed because all of our service um, pretty much went tele. And so that was, that was definitely for me a slightly different learning because, you know, I, I'd done had a lot more experience in one sort of service delivery model and then adapting to that. And so what we found, um, and I think you asked a question before about fact sheets or like resources to support parents. So what we do when we're sending out for initial assessment, um, we send an email which has, you know, the appointment date and time, um, the link to what they need to link in for, um, and it talks about doing a test link prior and it talks and then we attach a fact sheet which has what's going to happen in the telepractice appointment, how, what they need to prepare. And so that says, you know, you need to have yourself and the child, which sounds really, really <laughs> um, obvious, but I've actually had a few where the child has not been there. Like we've linked in and they've said, oh no, dad's taking them for like down to the park. And so my favorite is, oh, well, they're asleep. I can just wake them up. You never wake up a sleeping 18 month old, like chaos will ensue if you wake up the baby. <laughs> but like, yeah. 
So we, we make it very clear, on, unless it is something that we're actually just wanting to talk to the parent about. But usually we say, we, we would like you and your child to be there. Um, and then we talk about having prepared like food and food and drink, um, preferred toys, anything else that they need to, you know, to prepare for the session. So having pillows and, uh, you know, nipple shield, like whatever it is that they usually need. Um, and then we also say, you know, if there's other things that you've tried previously, like it might be a good idea to have them nearby. Like, you know, if there are, you've tried 20 different sippy cups or, you know, you've tried 20 different teats, like probably a good idea to have them nearby because then we might want to be Oh, um, nipples. Sorry, nipples. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I was like, what did she say? I've heard that reference, but I grew up on a farm, and that's what we called when we had to go milk the cattle. <laughs> so just, uh, yeah. Yeah, we we call them dicks. <laughs> so nipples. Uh, I've heard like twenty different nipples. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, you know you're in pediatrics when you have a good sense of humor about all of these things. So thank you. I appreciate you, Madeline. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great. I love finding things out that it's like, I don't know what you're saying and you don't know what I'm saying. So this something's gone missing here. <laughs> okay, so what about, do you, so a huge part of what I see when I get a case, um, so like I go to their homes, well, not anymore, but because of what my boys have lovingly referred to as the zombie apocalypse, but I mean, case rock. So prior to this, when I got a referral for a patient, I would have um, my intake coordinator, when she sent out the documentation, I would do like a quick phone call case study before I actually went to their homes. And a huge chunk of that was getting them referrals to different specialists. So do you have them and while they were on my wait list to get into an appointment time, they would have to see, you know, allergist or ENT or GI or whoever was dictated. Do y'all, is that part of the process or do they see you first and then go out to the different specialists? Um, and this varies like between clinics and obviously practice. For us, we typically send out questionnaires beforehand and then they reach, like they bring that to them with their, for their first appointment. Um, we generally don't tend to have a super long waiting time. So for us... <laughs> Like that's um, like they would wait longer to see a specialist than they would to see us typically. So that's how we do ours. Um, but what I what I've found, and I would encourage people for doing an, an initial assessment, I, um, either to tell the parent that the child doesn't need to be there for the first part. Like if you are going to do it via tele, or you know, sending out the documents and getting them back beforehand. We sent um, some of our questionnaires online. Um, or doing your phone call to collect that just because I think when you're doing that initial consult, the pressure of having the toddler there, you know, and they're getting really bored while, you know, mum or dad just keeps talking. So I think, you know, if, if, you, if you're going to do that and that's what you need to do, I think setting that up at the start of, okay, so the, the first, you know, I'm anticipating that we're going to be talking for an hour or whatever it is that you need to do or something. Um, so you, know, you, you could, you know, maybe it is a good time for when the toddler's down for a nap or something like that. So I think really thinking about, and that would be the thing that I'd encourage people to do for any type of tele that they're doing is thinking about what the aims of the session are and what they need to modify to do that via telepractice. So that was like with infant oral reflex exam, for example, we were like, okay, well, we want to be able to do this. This is part of what I would do standardly, but I can't touch the child, which is what I would standardly do. So how are we going to get around this? we could talk the parent through it and just make sure we can see and, you know, document and talk them through that. Or, um, for example, with, I'm just thinking, um, like some of the intervention stuff where it might be, okay, well, I'm going to get the parent to do this. Like, we're going to try this. I'm going to model it first with, I always have, so in my, in my room where I'm doing my teletherapy, I will always have like my feeding kit or the things that I usually have near me. So I will have a baby doll. I'll have spoons. I'll have cups. I'll have, some sort of food and drink because I usually end up having to model or um, show the parent what I'm talking about, particularly, you know, like I'll, I'll use the baby doll if we're talking about infant positioning or modeling to a child of, well, I'm going to have my spoonful of custard or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I always make sure I made that error. I think the first time I did a session, I didn't have things nearby and I had to run out and go get them. So that would be a really practical tip of whatever you'd usually use. Um, having, I know that um, some colleagues of mine have had like some great success, for example, with puppets um, where they'll, because you know, they're modeling for the child with a puppet or you know, with something like that. 
so and then the child can see it and model back and forth so um, and I also usually have some sort of reward nearby. So I know um, in Georgia Malandraki's study, they um, had uh, like a, uh, it was like an online game. I think they did it in PowerPoint or something. Like there was, they used an online game as their reinforcer um, and a visual timer. So I've also shared a screen with a visual timer, which has been really helpful. Um, but I usually have bubbles nearby or um, like some sort of reward toy that I can do. But then we also talk to parents and this is where, um, you know, we've been working on a few therapy type fact sheets for our teleservice on picking a, a toy for feeding therapy. Um, and so we talk them through beforehand. Well, this is the sort of toy, you know, you want something that has a quick action. And, and so we've, we've given that all of that information beforehand. And then we usually get them to bring like a few different things. And then we can talk through and this is the benefit, you know for me, people who do in-home services have this all the time, but I can say, well, this is why that's a really good toy. This one's not so ideal because blah, blah, blah. Um, so that sort of um, thing is what, would be, what we've been finding. Yeah. yeah. We, um, I, I have a tendency to eat with the child and eat with the family, right? So like that's, and that's hard to do because I would always break bread with them. Um, with the exception of meat, because I don't eat meat. I love meat. The feeling's just not mutual. My body said no more. So, um, but you know, I would, whatever they were eating, we would do it together and we would model it. And, and that's been really hard. So I have found that my own personal grocery bill has slightly um, changed because like, I, I'll know that, I mean, I'm doing teletherapy from my kitchen table because I am home also attempting to homeschool my own tiny humans and so you know sessions happen and then they go in, in the other room but um I have I have orchestrated and the good tip that I have found is if you have that capabilities I've orchestrated my grocery list with the family so if I know that they're doing um bomba do you know what bomba is um it's disgusting I'm not gonna lie it's not a good thing to eat it's like it's like a peanut puff, but it's like dipped in like a peanut butter coat. I don't know who invented Bamba, but it's not a really good food. They have one little guy that it is a great challenge food for him because his family typically pick up Bamba. So I'll get the green pea snaps because I just can't endure any more Bamba personally. And so we'll, we'll, we'll have bites. We'll talk about where we put it on our molars and I get really close and awkward to the camera. Uh, and then I have another little friend that we've just been working on um, oral uh, open mouth cup drinking. And so uh, I'm, do y'all know the little red solo shot glasses? Like the red solo cups are like the, yes. And then the little tiny ones. And so we have our little red solo shot glasses and then we go and I'll I'm pretending this is it and cheers. And that has been absolutely fantastic. It has backfired once the mom had her laptop open and she, the kid clinked the, and there was a water spill. So now we, um, we just make sure that there's a little bit of parental guidance when we do a celebratory cheers for um, PO consumption. But y'all, one of the, I have found that one of the most positive reinforcers through the teletherapy has having the kids are, the kids are interested, especially my older ones that I can have a conversation with. They're interested as to what's in Miss Michelle's kitchen. So the positive reinforcer has been, let's open my pantry, which has made me really self-conscious about like making sure that like my pantry is organized, but we like to look through Miss Michelle's pantry or, um, okay, well, what does Miss Michelle have in her veggie drawer? And then we go through and we like talk about what's in my veggie drawer. I never would have done this in their own home. I would have assumed it would have been too nosy to, to go in, but it brought home the point that for a lot of our children, the food is placed in front of them and they have no concept of the before, right? So they get the food, it's pre-cut, pre-made, and we are expecting to eat what's being delivered of them. And it's very disconnected from um, the greater, what I would consider oral preparatory phase. I mean, when I think of oral preparatory, I think of everything from like table to mouth, but like getting them into that has just been, um, that's been an utterly delightful unanticipated consequence. So, um, and my kitchen's a lot cleaner than it ever was prior to the pandemic. So there's that. Silver lining. Silver lining, yes. Okay, so you have, you have, you provide them with a lot of pre-front resources. Do you have additional resources that you offer them ongoing or 
do you have like a maintenance program? I mean, what happens after therapy? Yeah, um, I think that's the like, big lie. Yeah, no, because I think it's, um, and this is maybe just how like our service runs because it's it's very different, like um, from what I understand from um, seeing like uh, uh, American like colleagues like on on social media. So I think we have a slightly different service delivery sort of model. So I, I do wonder if this is different. Um, but so we generally tend to do, um, like we'll do the assessment. We might do like a short block of intervention. Um, and again, this is very different because I work in a, the type of service that I work in. Um, we do a short block of intervention and then we might do like a, a review appointment after a few months and then we might do another block of intervention or, um, you know, ongoing reviews. It depends on what they need. So we, we're quite flexible um, and then we might discharge them to more of a uh, like an ongoing disability type of service model. So because I work at a hospital, we're very health based. So it's very um, related to the child's medical condition and um, that sort of thing. And so then if it's more looking like it's like ongoing due to it, like sort of a like a lifelong disability or, or things like that. Um, so like, for example, children with cerebral palsy or autism aren't a large part portion of my caseload. Um, like because that's more they they get seen through another um sort of service model so we have a national disability insurance scheme which which funds intervention for them so um i think this that's potentially part of some of the differences in that my type of service is very health focused and it's generally a shorter term thing and then we link them in with other services for longer term um sorts of stuff but in in terms of following up telly um what we generally do is i find it's a it's uh it generally, particularly once you're starting out, once you've got your resources, it, it gets a bit quicker. Once you've got your email template or, you know, you've made some fact sheets, that that definitely is quicker. Um, in our fact sheets as well, we have pictures of the camera angles so that families know what, um, generally what we're talking about when I say, oh, you know, um, and we talk about like ideally not sitting in front of like an open window because there's too much glare and turning off the TV. And so all of that's in there and we also talk about it with them. Um, but so generally that I find the planning or the setting up phase takes longer than probably what you would do if you're doing an in-person session, because it is, it's a lot more cognitively, it's a lot more planning because you're adjusting to something that's new and that you haven't done before. I sort of equate it to like when you first learned to drive, you didn't just automatically think, you know, it actually took a lot of effort to, to figure out what you were doing. Um, and then now you do it and you don't really think about it. And it's the same, you know, for, for learning to do teletherapy. Um, but so there's a lot more pre-planning and we find, um, like a particular intervention got like um, a lot of emails going back and forth with parents about what foods are you going to have? Um, you know, what, are, what, are, what's happening during the week? Um, we might also ask parents to send us photos and videos throughout the week. So, you know, can you just take a little, like they'll take a little video of them doing sort of their therapy session, like midway through the week. And so then we can discuss that when when we link in and so I um that sort of I think teletherapy tele has sort of almost like opened the box of, of thinking outside the box because I mean I don't know about you but I generally don't have a two-year-old who's happy to sit for 60 minutes um no. which our, our sessions are 60 minutes but like they wouldn't do that typically in an in-person session because what we'd act like their appointment would be 60 minutes but we'd probably spend you know uh, time on either side of the appointment more talking to the parent coaching them through and I think sometimes that just becomes more obvious via tele because you're thinking oh my gosh I like the, the child's not sitting and attending for the whole appointment that's you know a really big issue and so, some children there there are issues with sitting and attending at a computer but actually when I thought about it I was like oh actually they probably didn't sit I probably got about 20 minutes when you know, mm -hmm. when we're in a session. And so what we do is we really try to maximise that time. And so sometimes that's a lot of back and forth before. And then once we've done our, you know, our intervention or what we're going to do, then we'll say the child can go off and, you know, they usually go and play. And that's sort of one of the benefits is then they're not just there sort of being a little bit bored. They go off and play with their siblings or, you know, whatever they want to do. And then we'll keep talking to the parent. But um, if we have videos, for example, we might watch it back and, and coach them through and say, look, it was really great. I can see here that you've responded in this way. That was really good. Or can you see here, like he's starting to, you know, show you that this is becoming, you know, a bit overwhelming or that that, you know, that particular taste was a lot. You can see in his face, he's doing some grimacing and, you know, we'll, we'll coach, do that sort of coaching. And so it's sort of being able to integrate a few different 
modalities and thinking differently about how we do therapy, um, which from talking to some other colleagues, that's that's been a similar sort of experience for them. And I, it sounds like you've sort of found the same sort of thing. Um, and then it's also, I think, a little bit of work afterwards, I would usually email my recommendations to parents so that they've got a really clear plan of, you know, here's what we discussed, bang, 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 bang. Um, and then, you know, they might come back and forth um, throughout the week. And also, um, I do, I haven't mentioned this yet, but at the start of a session, um, we will always, and this is in the information sheet, but we always confirm it um, at the start of each appointment, we confirm safety and disconnection procedures. Um, so what we do is, yeah, so um, at the start of the session, when we all link in, first we um, identify who's present there. So, you know, just checking who's at home, which I'm checking, you know, it's just me or I've got another colleague with me today. Then the next thing we'll do is we'll go over what happens in the event of a technological difficulty because they they do happen. That's that's working with technology. <laughs> um, and so usually what my um, general consensus is is if they're you know if the appointment cuts out or it freezes, you know, wait a few seconds, see if it comes back on. If it doesn't, log out, log back in again. If that doesn't work, we exchange best contact details at the start of the appointment. You know, I'll call you, is this your best number? Or you call me, this is my best number. And so we have a backup um, sort of plan so that when, if or when things go haywire, we like it's very clear for the parent, it's very clear for me what that step is going to be. Um, so we, we do that at the start of the session. And then we also establish um, sort of what will, what will happen in the event of a medical emergency. So, um, you know, for us, we, I talk about the fact that in in the event of a medical emergency, so you know whether that be you know a seizure or something like that, that the parent would be responsible for commencing first aid and calling emergency services, which for you guys is nine one one, a different number for me. But what um, is it for you, because I'm just genuinely curious now. We're we're triple zero. Triple zero. Okay, that would give you a whole lot of operators in the states. <laughs> yeah. So for us, that would go straight. You know. So we're very clear about. So I always, and I will always verbally confirm that at the start of the session, confirm that the parents understood and then sort of go through, I, um, touching wood, haven't had anything happen um, yet. Uh, we've had, you know, disconnection issues, um, but that, that hasn't had to happen. But um, I think having that conversation at the start and making it routine part of the appointment um, is really important because then it's, it's really clear and you've already established those things because as you said, you, you can't, you're not there, you're not hands-on. Um, and I know that in the adult space, they actually do a lot of mock, uh, my colleagues in the adult facility, they do because they generally do between two health facilities, they do a lot of mock emergencies. So they will practice what happens if the patient chokes or, you know, and they will practice that response via tele. Um, that's so, really smart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think when we, when I, when I've been, um, training, we, we also, when I've. Um, was training a few girls we do a bit of mock um telly with with very low low take baby dolls I think we used a cookie monster at one point in time um but but we will we'll practice linking in we'll practice um like troubleshooting the I can't hear you like what's happening we we have a statewide telehealth support network so families can call if we really can't get it established we can call them and they can usually identify what the problem is um but we'll practice doing things like uh, coaching a parent through moving the camera. We'll practice all of those just in a low stress, getting used to the technology, getting used to linking in, um, getting used to something going wrong and being able to sort of coach a, a parent through that because it's just easier to do it once you've practiced it. So that would be, um, you know, if people are in a position where they can practice that in a colleague or where, where it's it's uh, feeling a little bit unfamiliar to you, that can can really help because I think sometimes the more you do it, the more comfortable you get, but sometimes it's a, it's a really high you know, stakes when you've got a family on the line, whereas if you're just doing a practice with yourself or with, you know, a colleague who's at their house, um, it's, it's a little bit easier to do that. And then at the end of the appointment, we'll always establish how we're going to, again, in COVID, it's not as, not as much of an issue, but we'll always establish how we're going to do the next appointment. So will it be via tele? Will it be in person? So that's really important uh, to, to determine so that you're not thinking that they're going to come in or, you know, that you're going to go to their house and then they're linking into the tele appointment and you sort of have had that communication breakdown. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I've, um, 
I have done that in the past where I have thought that they were going to come to a clinic and then I show up at their house and then they show up at the clinic and you're like, oh, well, you can, we're out of luck now. <laughs> that was pre-COVID. Since COVID, it's all been home and um, our biggest battle. Honestly, um, trying to work from home with the tiny humans is entertaining my own tiny humans. So on our, um, which was something that I would recommend that everybody practice with, with your own wild cards that you have at your personal home, because my very first teletherapy session uh, with my graduate intern for the summer, because on top of trying to take on teletherapy, I was also mentoring a student and my five-year-old walked in um, with a booger on his finger and handed it to us on camera on the first session on her first day of practicum. And I was like, well, that's real life. I mean, luckily the mom was very forgiving and she goes, well, we had PT yesterday and the PT's two-year-old got naked and was running behind them holding his pull-up. And I was like, okay, I booger felt better. <laughs> but yes, yes, folks, they say this because this is the real world. Okay, so we have just a few minutes left um, and I think we've answered the questions as they've come through. Um, but do you have... Um, Ever so briefly, do you have just your, your favorite, most joyful, we overcame a pediatric feeding disorder moment through teletherapy that you want to share? I think my, one of my favorite, it sticks with me and it was in my, it was in my study. Um, I had this mum who, because we were recruiting from our, our feeding service and she was really, she, um, I had a really good relationship with her. She, um, she was uh, she was actually recruited by another therapist, but she was really nervous about doing the tele appointment because she said, when I talked to her to schedule, she said, "I'm just I don't know how to use technology. I'm really I'm really anxious about this. Like uh, it's it's a real big worry for me." Um, and what I've and I found that in those situations, often talking to the families or doing like a, a little test link prior can be really helpful so that they do feel more confident with that. But she was so nervous. She actually lived a fair way from where where my service was. She was like, I just don't know that this is going to work. You know, she had a, a little boy who was quite behavioural, but we, we did the appointment. She managed to link in. It was a beautiful session and he was just, he was wanting to show me everything. And he's like, Miss, you know, yeah, I'm like, Maddie, look, you know, I've got this. And he was showing me all of his food and he was showing off and, you know, like that. it was just a, a really lovely session. Um, but at the end of it, she cried because she said, I just you've saved me a whole day like this has saved me four hours and if I'd known that it was this easy I would have done it before and she just had she was just in tears because it was just it just was a weight off her shoulders and so that one sort of always really sticks with me as being just a really beautiful session um and probably one of my favorites for that reason just of sort of that burden for the family and how nice that was to be able to you know for her to have a real win and to go oh my gosh like I don't you know, and what 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 I what I found is actually when we did a tele appointment, a lot of families wanted to keep doing like a hybrid model. They they said, I, I still want to come in sometimes, but I really want to keep up this tele because you've just saved me a whole day of travel. Or, you know, you've just I I can just do this for an hour and then I can go back to work. Or you know, like there was a real sort of thing with that. So for me, that's sort of been one of the most powerful experiences that I've had. Yes. Yeah. You made my Irish leak. So I had to go grab a tissue just in case they're always right there, but that's, we are called to be healers. That's what our profession is. And it's very humbling that we get to help heal through a box. I mean, of various sizes, but like we, we get to help heal that way. And that's yes. Okay. So I'm going to sweet talk you right here. Can I, can I, can you come on first bite? Can you come on mine? I want you on mine. You're wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> this is wonderful okay um i will send you an email um my tomorrow yeah tomorrow this prop yeah well time yeah, it's like 7 a.m saturday here and it's winter which i think is the opposite to you guys so that's why i'm in a jumper yeah no it's hotter than hades in south carolina um we're in the midlands of south carolina and it's like it's where the air goes to die and suffocate. So it's 97 degrees and like, oh, 87% humidity. So my hair just goes poof by the time I walk outside. Yes, which is why I'm hiding in the basement and it's conditioning <laughs> running. But um, yes, okay. So folks, um, if, you've, um, if you're new to speechtherapypd.com, um, uh, just so you know, we have um, several different ASHA CEU podcast pod course. Um, I... Post first bite fed fun functional. It is um, 
a early intervention pediatric geared podcast. We put an episode out every Tuesday night. I think we're 109 episodes in, so I've been a little busy. And each one's eligible for an hour's worth of continuing education credit. And um, my biggest favorite thing to cover is pediatric feeding disorders. Yay, Madeline. Uh, uh, but we also have several other ones. Speech Uncensored is our adult podcast. We have Speech Link with Sharp Beauchart. We have SLP Now with Marisha Metz, who is adorable. She is just one of the most kindest human beings. And she's a school-based clinician. Uh, and we just rolled out a brand new one. Um, it's called On the Ear with a dear friend, Dr. Dakota Sharp, and it will be our very first that's approved for ASHA CEUs and the American Academy of Audiology CEUs. Um, and then we also have one, uh, a mini series, All Things Ethics with Elise, who's um, Dr. Elise Davis McFarland. She's an ASHA past president, and she has, I wanna say 12 episodes, and each one covers a different um, ethics topic, and one of them is an ethics and telepractice. So, um, be sure to uh, check us out there. But uh, Madeline, this was, I know it was a pain to reschedule and I apologize, but COVID, but um, thank you. Austin, thank you for waking up at like the butt crack of dawn on a winter's morning. I appreciate <laughs> it. Oh, this was way better. I was worried that it was gonna have to be like 3 a.m. or something. So 7 a.m. is fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is, and, and and there was no thunderstorm and dog lived and so like that's great so she's curled up on the uh, on the couch over there next to me I, all I that think, um, for anyone who is wanting um some more telly i think i sent it to you in the when i sent you all the resources i i've given um michelle some resources um uh there's a link in there to a queensland health it's a free online platform um it takes about an hour to complete and it has um, videos from our study and has picture examples of all sort of the camera angles that I've talked about and it talks through all of those that's free there's no ASHA CEUs because I'm Australian and um <laughs> but it's you know it takes about an hour you can log on um from from wherever like you can uh, access that from wherever you work but um that sort of has some more concrete examples all those sorts of things and it talks through um like some strategies that we found for modifying or optimizing technology and you know those sorts of things so it has some very like step-by-step -step, um and it talks about all the the articles that are out there at the moment perfect and then this will be um when um this gets posted to the website um uh i can um oh your email i got a message that just came in sorry some of the participants have my personal cell phone number <laughs> so they're like what's yeah. your email so what is your email madeline yeah um it's so it's it's madeline um sorry m-a-d-e-l-i-n-e -E dot rats um r i say r differently double a t z um at gmail.com my i'd say r double a t z yeah i would not have known what you were saying <laughs> Well, I'll, um, I'll put it in the chat um, and then that way it's um, written out because I realized I had this, I think when I was um, at DRS last year, trying to check into my hotel and I had to say my surname and I, like I said, I spelled it how I would spell it and it just was a real issue. And then I had to think about how I was saying the letters, like, you know, with a different accent and it, it took a little while. Yes, yes. Um, and y'all, DRS, it's the Dysphagia Research Society. They have so many wonderful resources. Oh, they, I forgot to tell you, um, Savories. Have you heard of Savories yet? No. It's the only ITSY level five, level six um, transitional crackers. Uh, and it was, um, and dysphagia, um, it, it's, they have a journal article coming out in dysphagia uh, in the dysphagia research society journal article about their, about their crackers. And, um, one of my girlfriends is getting ready to participate in a study here in the States. Um, they're trying to get it approved, um, on the, um, how to use it as a transitional food for infants and toddlers. Um, well, not infants, but toddlers. You please, I, I know the, the lovely lady and I would highly recommend um checking that one out Ooh, did we get all of the okay there's the questions and i think that was one. me I, I posted my thing my email twice because i realized i only sent it to you <laughs> oh, yes that's okay it's up there now yes okay well um 
everybody, thank you, Madeline. I will email you. And um, this was delightful. This was utterly delightful. So thank you so much, everybody. Be well. Wash your hands. Wear a face mask. Go team. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Madeline. Have a good night. Or day. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Hey, we hope that you enjoyed this episode of Talk and Teletherapy. SpeechTherapyPD.com is running a promo right now. So if you're interested in a pod course subscription to one of our fabulous lineup of podcasts, be sure to plug in our promo code TALKING20 for $20 off a pod course membership. And that will include access to the 0.1 ASHA CEUs for First Bite Fed Fun Functional Speech Therapy PD.com pod course that I host with along with my co-host Aaron Forward. We also have the amazing Leanne Porter who hosts Speech Uncensored, which is geared towards our adult population, the one and only Marisha Metz, the guru behind SLP Now, as well as Shar Beauchart and her fabulous self with Speech Uncensored, and the one and only past president, Dr. Elise Davis McFarland, who hosts All Things Ethics with Elise. So there's quite the opportunity for ASHA CEUs there. So be sure to check them out. Don't forget the promo code TALKING20 to get $20 off and you'll have access to all of these. That's well over, I think, 200, 250 hours of continuing ed. So enjoy. Thanks.